Trauma Code to New York City, Trauma Code to WBAI. I am Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, a Brooklyn trauma surgeon and surgical intensivist. And I am Dr. Cassandra Raphael, an adult and child psychiatrist. Welcome to Trauma Code. Together we will focus on healing of mind, body, and community from trauma. We'll discuss how wellness fits into the culture at large. Join us on Monday at 2 p.m. on WBAI. code this is dr simon fitzgerald live and in studio here in downtown brooklyn on today monday september uh, 18th and uh, I, I guess it's been a minute i feel like it's been several weeks since we were in studio here uh, last week was september 11th wbai had some alternative programming um and you know it, it's always uh, worth kind of a moment of silence to realize um you know, the trauma that people lived through on September 11th, 2001, and the loss that people in New York in particular felt, um, as well as, you know, the the series of 
got a militaristic backlash that that um, that followed in 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 Iraq and Afghanistan. And and students of history will also remember that September 11th was also the day. I think it was in 1973 that the coup in Chile overthrew the government and Pinochet, uh, rather, the Pinochet uh, coup overthrew the government of Salvador Allende in Chile, leading to the death and torture of thousands of people there. Um, it, to me, that's always been sort of linked as, as part of the echoes of trauma of that very significant um, date that, that still you know resonates and rings out every year. Um, and so we weren't uh, on the air last week, but I had actually, um, before I realized that I had arranged an interview with a, a friend of mine uh, who I have on a little bit, a sports uh, journalist and sports media producer, um, Terrence Williams. Uh, and um, we'll have a little bit uh, more uh, when when we get him on the air, work out some. All right. We'll have him on in a minute. Um but first, I wanted to talk about just some quick up- updates. People who are watching the news may have noticed um, today there was an escalation of the fighting in Khartoum, um, kind of numerous landmark buildings around uh, the capital of Sudan are in flames right now as the fighting between, you know, this kind of uh, factions of the the, the military uh, have escalated and the people are just suffering. So people are interested in that. May may remember a couple of months ago in July we had an interview um, with uh, Ms. Abdel Monaim, uh, a journalist on the uh, what's going on in Sudan. So we'll d- definitely have to update on that. And as well, you know, the, these last weeks have seen a series of kind of heightening of the crisis of a climate crisis, um, including, you know, floods in Libya because of a Medicaid, a hurricane basically in the, in the Mediterranean Sea um, that flooded um, Libya, particularly um, the coastal city of Derna. So we're going to have uh, our good friend uh, Darna Noor, our expert, uh, to address my climate anxiety. Most likely next week uh, we'll have her on. Um, but why don't we, we're going to have, let's set up a quick musical break, and then we're going to have um, our uh, our guest today, Terrence Williams, on. Uh, and he's one of my go-to guys for sports. I want to have a conversation about kind of the sports update, sports and politics, particularly college football. Terrence is someone uh, that has excelled uh, in high school and college football as an offensive lineman. I think he won a state championship in uh, Connecticut and then went on to an undefeated team in the FCS Sacred Heart University uh, uh, college football team in Connecticut. So why don't we have a quick musical break while we get him all set up. Yeah, yeah. Jump from Baltimore, you see you as I never see you. What part you on? I got some family on the Alameda. I love my city, that's yes, about me, and I bet they know me. My name good in any hood, I hung around to vote. I got a picture live on Apple, since she loved them killers. When I read about him, I pondered them, I got in village. My uncle Jimmy round the corner on the avenue. You ball the black, and that's the type of shit I never do. I'm from the east side, you know what kind of shit I'm on. But I be everywhere, I sold drugs and wood along. I know some down the hill that got a foot of low. I live in Bird City, I got a that work up numbers in that wet. And every day she catching has to get the Lafayette. She said she's tripping, trying to get the fuck about the jazz. But they ain't none my business, I'm just trying to get the net. A lot of rappers in my city have been wet, wet. And I ain't never been the bitch, 
Welcome back to the Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, live and in studio in downtown Brooklyn. I hope my New York audience will forgive me a little bit. I'm having a little bit of fun. It's a good Baltimore sports season. Uh, that song we just heard was a little bit of Bank Rolls by Tate Cobang. I'm um, talking about Bird City, and I want to get into that in a minute. Um, but first, let me introduce our guest, uh, Mr. Terrence Williams. Are you on the line? Can you hear us? I'm on the line. I can hear you. Can you hear me? I know I've been having some connection we, issues. We got you How loud and clear. We got you loud and clear here in Brooklyn. And that's right. just, you know, part of the game, get you on the air. Um, and um, I'm happy that you're joining us. I was just giving a brief introduction before um, that, uh, you know, and we go we go way back. And, and when I started doing a podcast called Knife at the Gunfight, I interviewed you a couple of times as my kind of go-to sports guy and and. Um, back in, I think, January of 2017, I, um, I kind of interviewed you about your whole history of, of, of playing offensive linemen. And a, is a, correct me if I'm wrong, in a state championship winning high school team and then on an undefeated uh, Division One FCS college team. So um, uh, obviously, you know, I'm res- great respect for your accomplishments and, and uh, grateful for you joining us on the air. Oh man, listen, that's, that's such a, uh, awesome intro. Uh, I'm just a guy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man, you know, I love sports. It's been such a major part of my life. And, um, and since you know, then you've been, school. you've been working in sports media, production and journalism. And, and so, um, definitely when I want to know what's going on, both in the world of sports, but also in the world of sports media, I definitely turn to you. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be a go-to. Hopefully I can add some value for your listeners here today. And uh, and welcome to the air in New York City. Um, and, you know, uh, it's the beginning of the college football season, and I think your experience um, playing college football as well as, uh, you know, producing media related to it um, is definitely relevant. And the big story this year, and this goes back, you know, guys of our age, we remember uh, him in his primetime, Neon Dion Primetime Sanders, who's now the coach of the University of Colorado Buffalo's football team uh, and has really been breaking the mold of a college coach and really been, uh, you know, um, ripping stuff up in in Boulder. What do you have to say about um, Coach Sanders, Coach Prime uh, in 2023? Uh, I mean, I'm grateful for Coach Prime in this day here in 2023 for so many reasons. Um, Just from a from a from a work standpoint right i i you know i produce shows at espn and um the college football stories are often a lot of fluff until you get into you know uh the season where the rankings really start to matter right where you get late in the season and it's time to start picking teams who are going to go to the college football playoff and the major bowl games the conference races get tight all of that stuff what dion has provided is without a doubt, the most interesting story in college football right now. Uh, last week, uh, ESPN brought College Game Day down to Boulder. Uh, the Pat McAfee show was down there. First Take was down there. It was so awesome, man. And, and just literally like the epicenter of everything going on in college football right now is happening in Boulder, Colorado. And I was – obviously, I stayed up on Saturday night for the Colorado-Colorado State game. 
And I'm like, man, it's 10 o'clock here on the East Coast. The, the game kicked off at 10.20. And I'm like, bro, oh, my God. I can't believe I'm staying up for a Colorado, Colorado State game. And I made it almost, almost all the way through. I think I fell asleep after the first overtime. But, um, but yeah, man, exciting stuff. Exciting, exciting stuff. And, and you know, um, our, our WBAI listeners aren't necessarily the ones that are going to sports talk radio. Um, so, so just to bring some people up to date, you know, why does this matter? Besides that, um, Deion Sanders was one of the most, uh, people would say flashy, but I think just, just like kind of prominent and culturally important, um, football players of our, you know, kind of generation in the nineties and, and when did he retire? Probably early two thousands. Um, but, um, but he's also really, this is a team in Colorado that was, what was it? One win last season. Yeah. They were one and 11 last season. Yeah, and he, you know, he last year was coaching for Jackson State, a historically black mm-hmm. school, um, right in Mississippi. Right? Am I getting that right? Yep, got um, Jackson, Mississippi. And they were punching way above their weight. Um, and his son was a quarterback, and him and his son came over to Boulder, Colorado, and kind of uh, really re-recruited that whole squad. Um, yeah. and has managed to take them now. Their first game was against. Uh, TCU was a Texas Christian who had yep. been in the in the championship game last year, um, and and took them the full four quarters and and beat them, and they also won convincingly against Nebraska. So there's a lot of excitement about that team. And and you were mentioning this, I, I'm not even sure I, I knew what the um the mascot was for Colorado State until I saw that game the other night. And that game was <laughs> was closer, I think, than people anticipated, but definitely an exciting game, and, and I think he's brought excitement, and his team has brought excitement every week to, to college football. Yeah, and I think the thing that makes this story uh, – first of all, there's so many elements and layers. All of that stuff you laid out, absolutely true. Those are absolutely big parts of the story. The fact that he was going from – Joe, just being two years as a head coach at, uh, at, at a F, F, FCS or 1AA school, um, a historically black college, which typically uh, coaches don't get elevated from HBCUs into uh, Power 5 FBS jobs. Those coaches get overlooked for those positions all the time. Um, and so, so that's one thing, right? Then, you know, bringing his kids with him, uh, Shiloh the safety and Shadur the quarterback. Um, again, you're looking at these guys like, oh, well, you know, they played at a, a lower level. Can it translate to a power five school? Then all the transfers, right? I believe Colorado had something like 80 kids transfer out of the program and 60 or 70 kids transfer into the program. Um, a lot of people really didn't like some of the video that was circulating when, uh, Coach Prime first met with his team. He told them, go ahead and jump in the portal because I brought my luggage with me and it's Louie. And a lot of people didn't like that. They felt like he was kicking kids off the team. But what he was saying is you guys were 1-11 last year. Okay? You guys were 1-11 last year and we're going to get better whether you like it or not. We're going to do some – we're going to do things harder. You have to do things harder to win. You guys were 1-11. You weren't doing things in a winning way. And by the way, if you talk to anybody who's ever played for a Power 5 FBS school or any school at that level, they can tell you a story about a new coach getting there and giving his, I'm in charge now, it's my way or the highway speech. It happens at every school for every coach who takes over. It probably happens in some office buildings, okay? So, like, to me, there's nothing that's that egregious about that. But here's where this story takes on another element 
that makes it really interesting is that all those things I mentioned are being hyper-scrutinized because of Deion Sanders, because he's a high-profile guy. You know, you mentioned all his pro accolades, all his college accolades. He's one of the greatest college players of all time, one of the greatest NFL players of all time. He's always been a, uh, a marketable personality, and he's amazingly charismatic, and people feel a way about him. And let's not dance around it. He's a black man succeed, try, uh, trying to succeed in an area where you see very few black faces doing it. And not only that, he's not humble. He's not humble. And people don't like that. When you're doing well and you're black, people want you to be humble. People are just so, – so I know that from the time he had his first press conference, people were getting their think pieces written up ready for him to fail so they could throw it in his face. And this has become the story week after week with Colorado is someone paying some sort of slight to Dion, uh, you know, whether it's talking about all the kids he has transferred in, basically um, insinuating that he's cheating in some way, although that's just the way that college works now. Uh, ask Clemson because they appear to be falling behind the pack because they don't want to do the NIL. And they don't want to hit the transfer portal. And so you see schools that used to be powers uh, kind of falling down and schools that maybe are not traditional powers are able to come up if you're willing to play the game the right way. And so you have all these things, the fact that he's winning, the fact that he's succeeding, the fact that he's charismatic, and all of those things coming together, Black America, we have embraced Colorado. Colorado is America's team. Um, uh, uh, Mark, I believe it was Mark Jones, the commentator for ESPN. Uh, Mark Jones and Louis Riddick did the uh, the broadcast of the Colorado-Colorado State game the other night. And Mark Jones said that the sidelines look like the BET Awards. And it's funny because some people would look at that as like an insult. But I think BET quote tweeted it, and they're like, hey, if you see black excellence and you think of the BET Awards, that's cool with us. And I think that's one of those things, right? That's one of those things where um, there's so many people who are waiting for this to fail. But so many people see him succeeding, and he's doing something that I don't think black people have seen in the sports world since Allen Iverson. Wow. He's succeeding at a high level, and he is just being himself, but just being himself appears to be counterculture to what so many people are used to seeing. And because he is that, there are just again, just all the you, you can you can see the tweets from all the people who are just waiting, uh, licking their lips, waiting for him to stumble. And they're already, you know, every every game, oh, they didn't get enough uh penalties or you know, this play or that play. Um the coach from Colorado State made a comment about Dion's wearing his hat and his sunglasses during a uh during a press conference. And he the, the, the coach from Colorado State, Jay, uh, Mike, uh, Jay Norvell, I think his name is, um, he, he clarified that. He said he has a lot of respect for, for Deion Sanders. He's not a critic of him. He was just making a reference to the way that he thinks things should be done. And he's a black guy, by the way. And he was saying how he does it, you know, the, the way he um, teaches it to his team, right? But once that clip got out there, of course, the media ran with it and – the perceived coach, the, the perceived slight towards Coach Prime was on, and that was the motivation they needed to now everybody who plays Colorado 
is a villain to those who are supporting and backing Colorado. And if you pay attention in the social media spaces, you can see, man, like people who are casual observers at best are getting on this Colorado wave and we're going to ride it and see how far it goes. Indeed. It's fun. And, and, I love and it and I'm here for it. You gave us a lot to think about and, and there was a lot of of uh, photos of people who were um, on the sidelines in, in at the Colorado games and I know that there was a Lil Wayne concert right before the last game um, in Boulder. Um, but you know, and we even skipped over, we didn't even mention that of course not only was Deion Sanders um, one of the best like defensive backs in the NFL, uh, but he was also good enough at baseball to not only go to the major leagues but play in the world series i think he's the only athlete to play in both the world series uh and a super bowl um mm-hmm. and and it kind of gets to a point that you and i talked about this last week um that in in some ways he's very flashy and and very new school in the way that he represents this this name image and likeness moment in college sports where players are able to um capitalize on the value of their brand so to speak um and and i think uh, Deion Sanders ha- has uh, been leading the way in a lot of ways of making his um, character into a brand. Um, but when it comes to the technical aspects of playing and coaching sports, he's very old school is what you were telling me. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, if, if you just take the time to you know uh, get past the flash and actually listen to him talk, he's very old school in the fact that you know he believes in hard work. You know, he talks about, I need dogs. You know, he needs guys who are good players, who are tough, who are willing to do things, quote unquote, the right way. Right. That's that's what he believes in. And he's not a uh, an X's and O's coach per se. Right. Like he's not the guy who's saying I'm the head coach because I have the best scheme. He's more of what you call the CEO type. Right. He's going to go out there and hire a good offensive coordinator, hire a good defensive coordinator, hire good position coaches to develop the players at each position and direct them on what to do. He's a leader of men. And that's the number one thing you can be as a head coach. You got to let your coaches coach, give them a vision and a plan to execute and uh, and, 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 and make sure the team is motivated to execute the game plans. That's what the head coach is there for. And so, you know, I'm sure that's another thing that people would love to criticize him about is not being, you know, necessarily the scheming game planning coach. But uh, again, I see other coaches, the Dabo Sweeney's of the world. And when they get labeled as the CEO, that's a praise. But when Dion hires people, you know, I heard somebody call it Barnum and Bailey circus. Like again, the slights are never far behind when people start talking about this man. And, you know, look, it, it, it forces people to pick sides, you know, because that's what these things always come down to is we turn our sports into stories. And in your, the way you see the story, somebody's either the hero or the villain. And more often than not, black people are going to see a black person trying to succeed as the hero in the story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way a lot of us look at Dion and Colorado. And, and I, one thing that you had mentioned to me before is you can even see like if there's a broken play um, and the quarterback has to scramble, you can see a, a commitment in, in his offensive line to keep blocking and keep fighting with um, kind of a faith in their quarterback, a faith in their coach, a faith in their team that even if things didn't go the way as planned, if they keep on their assignment and keep working hard, that they can have success because other parts in, in that whole machine are going to do what they're supposed to do. 
Absolutely. And, and that's what it works. I mean, that, that's why it works, right? Like, um, you know, it's kind of become his catchphrase, believe, but you got to believe, right? If you're playing offensive line, you know, your job is to block until the whistle. Now, you have an assignment on that play. If it's a pass play, there's a certain area or a certain man you're supposed to block. Sometimes that guy's going to get past you. You have a choice. What do you do? Do you stand back? And I, when I watch football, I hate this with a passion. When I see an offensive lineman get beat and they turn around and watch the defensive lineman go make the play, man, look, stick with the play. If you got to get on that defensive lineman's hip pocket and try to run them past the play or just keep blocking them no matter what, because you never know what can happen. And when you watch Colorado, you see things like that, like the play you just talked about. Um, you know, the the linemen, they believe if they keep blocking, their quarterback will make a play. The receivers, they believe if I run my routes, my quarterback is going to get me the ball. You know, and the defensive players, they believe, right? If I'm if I if if I do my scheme as it has been t- coached, I'm going to have a chance to make this play, and we're going to have a chance to win the game. So, um, and again, that is the greatest compliment you can give a coach that his players look prepared that his players are doing the right thing that his players are playing hard and you know we could talk about this forever um but there's some other things you've been working on in your professional sphere that i want to get to um uh, but you know when you and i spoke about this last week uh colorado had just won convincingly two games and was uh, now ranked um in the national college football kind of standings uh, and then uh, just over the weekend, they played, you know, unranked Colorado State, not not really highly regarded. Um, and at times were a little sloppy, right? Had some turnovers. It looked at times that they were going to lose the game, even though they pulled out with the victory. Does that change um, either the analysis or the narrative? Or does that just make this team that's exciting to watch, even when they're playing a team that they're supposed to beat? I think it depends on who you ask. Um, Colorado and Colorado State is a longstanding rivalry game. Um, Colorado State is in the Mountain West Conference, which is considered the group of five, like the, you know, the, 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 I guess the less rich schools, right? Um, and Colorado is in the Pac-12, which is, uh, considered a Power Five Conference. But these teams play each and every year. And one of the things about football is when you have rivalry games, there's, uh, an emotional level that comes along with playing and preparing for this game and almost the records don't matter. Mm. And I think watching that game, you could see that there was such a high emotional level from both sides, right. uh, from and, the people in the stands, right. from the players on the field and Fort from Collins the and, and Boulder are not that far away. It'd be very easy for fans from either side to travel to the other uh, town. And you know what? I bet you there were some Colorado state people in there. Sure. And, um, and, and, you know, Let's give Colorado State credit. Like, you know, they scored a lot of points. They're, they look like they're going to have a good season. Um, if they can play like that every week, I think they'll, they'll have a great shot having a really good season. So, you know, hopefully uh, Jay Norvell, you know, is, is telling his guys, you know, look, Colorado's having all the success, and we're just a few plays, a few, you know, um, a few corrections away from um, being that ourselves. So that's the way football works. You know, football is a game of interest, uh, inches, and um, I saw the betting lines on that game was Colorado being favored by 24 points. And I was like, there's no way I'm touching this. <laughs> no, no, I was like, there's too much hype around that. this game. And that just feels like a sucker bet. And uh, sure enough, 
We see how it played out. And we'll see. University of Colorado has a tough schedule. I'll have a lot of interesting games. So this is a story that's just getting started, but um, definitely one that I've been paying attention to. Anything else that you want to say about the college football season as, as it's getting started? No, man. I think <laughs> that's um, the story for now. You know, listen, I, Colorado's fun to watch. Um, you know, if, if you haven't been watching it, I think I think this is a fun story, a, a fun team to get on. If, if you're somebody, you know, in the New York City area, there's not like a whole lot of uh, dedicated college football um, marketing. I don't right. think you R- know Rutgers I mean? tries to market over here. That gives right, you they try it, but you know, they don't really give you a product to cheer for. And right now, Colorado is giving you a product to cheer for. So if you're if you're interested in watching a college football team that seems interesting and they're actually fun to watch when the games start happening. Uh, start following Colorado. See what you think. You know what I mean? See what you think. And um, I, I always say having a fun team to watch and root for is the best way to get into a sport. Definitely. And, you know, um, uh, we're we're broadcasting right now from downtown Brooklyn, just down the street from the Barclays Center uh, where um, the WNBA Liberty play. And I know you've been working on um, some uh, WNBA uh, media work in, in your professional space. And even in our previous conversations on our old podcast, we talked about um, organizing of women in sports. When I listened to it, I think women's hockey was organizing for pay parity at that time. Um, women's soccer was organizing. And uh, here in New York, we just finished um, the U.S. Open, uh, where uh, the new champion Coco Goff uh, was crowned. And I didn't realize it until they were advertising it that it's been 50 years going back to Billie Jean King, 50 years of pay parity between men and women um, at the U.S. Open in Queens. Um, anything else that you want to say about about that, about Coco Golf and the U.S. Open and that issue of pay parity in women's sports? Well, you know, I think pay parity is an interesting uh, concept because I think there's, you know, um, there's different particulars uh, that that are involved, right? Like, you know. Um, I think that pay, uh, I think pay should be fair, right? I don't know that there's um, I, I I don't know if if equal is fair, you know. So um, so you know I I don't know, and 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 I don't I what I don't what I, what I do see is this: if you have to put in the time and work that it takes to compete at a high level, you need to be compensated at a fair a fair level. Um, I was really happy to see Coco Golf win the U.S. Open. Um, I think the last tennis match I watched was Serena's farewell match, which was awesome. And, um, you know, I think it's always great to have a new star to root for, um, uh, an American star, a black woman, you know, like all things I can just get behind in a nutshell. Uh, I, you know, I've never heard anything, you know, bad or negative about Coco Golf. I remember her. You know, uh, she was probably 15 in 2020 when they were um, when when the world was protesting. And, you know, I saw clips of her speaking out about, you know, the things that were going on. And so she seems like a good kid. You know, I've heard stories about her parents and her parents and the sacrifices they made to allow Coco to have um, the time and space she needs to train properly to become a world class tennis player. And so it just seems like a great story. And she seems like a good kid. And, you know, that type of stuff that just, you know, it, it makes me feel good. Um, I'm definitely rooting for her, and I hope she has much more success and, and becomes a super big superstar and makes all the monies. And, and yeah, and our and there's a lot to say about all that. But, you know, our uh, audience in WBAI um, may have been involved. There was just a big climate protest in New York City, and some of these climate protests um, even interrupted some of her matches at the U.S. Open. Um, and to your point, when she was asked about that, um, 
And she's someone that has very little tolerance for foolishness. I think she started complaining to a line judge when her opponent was taking too long t- um, to get ready for her to get, you know, receive the serve. Um, but when asked about uh, climate protests who were interrupting her match, she said, you know, I don't know exactly what they're protesting for, but when it comes to the climate, I can't argue in general that this is something um, that, that needs attention. And if it interrupts my match, it seems basically like a small sacrifice. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly what she said, but I thought... Um, it did show for someone who's very serious about her craft and does not tolerate foolishness, it did show an emotional maturity. Um, and perhaps, you know, you and I talked about this, um, that the young people are going to inherit the um, consequences of this climate crisis that we're in, uh, are perhaps more attuned to what's going on and what it takes. Um, and, and, um, and so I think there is a generational component in those comments. But um, definitely, I think Coco Goff represents something in this new generation in that in that moment. Yeah, and you just thinking of those comments, right? Like, you know, you got somebody interrupting a match that you know you have dedicated your life to preparing for, and just to have the humility and empathy to recognize that yes, this is jamming me up, but I also recognize that what they're doing is important to them, and it's bigger than me. You know, it's bigger than me. If if the world could just have that level of empathy, man, I think, you know, we, we'd all be in a better place and we'd have a better outlook for things like, you know, climate, the climate crisis and all the other things going on uh, in our society. And the other thing that I think the U.S. Open demonstrates and, and your point about um, pay parity may not always make sense. And, and in the past, we talked about how, you know, a WNBA star maybe doesn't generate the revenue that an NBA star. So maybe exactly the same pay isn't exactly right for them. But if we look at the U.S. Open, um, particularly looking at American stars, often the women have been um, as prominent, as, uh, you know, as popular as the men. And may, that may have to do with the structure of tennis, right? A men's game can go on for like five hours, right? Um, mm-hmm. And a women's game is best of three sets and is more likely to be done in two or three hours. Maybe that's actually a better product. Um but, uh, you know, the women stars, like you mentioned, Venus and Serena Williams, um, have generated probably as much or more revenue than the men's stars in that time. And I think, you know, in talking about women's uh, soccer as well, the U.S. women have been more successful and um, in some ways and at some times have been as popular, more popular, popular than the men. So definitely there's a space in which um, putting the money up uh, improves the quality of the product and, and, and shows that there's space for equality. And, and I think that when you mention examples like that, right, like uh, I can't name a male American tennis star. So well, there I, should not be a male I, American tennis star that is out here making more money than the, Serena Williams, Venus Williams, in, you know, in, Coco in their Ball, defense, people the, who I can name. The men did you know? quite good this year. Um, Tiafo, and I'm forgetting some of the names. Uh, my wife, uh, I wish Dr. Raphael was here because she was up on it. But the, <laughs> the men actually did quite uh, quite well. But obviously they didn't win the championship like Goff did. Right. And like you said, even with the with the women's soccer, right? Like um, those the women's soccer team has been so much fun to watch. And if you were to tell me that the male team makes more than makes more than them, to me, that's completely unfair, right? They're more fun to watch. Like I would think, if you are a network, an ESPN, a Fox, a CBS, a NBC, you would have more luck marketing a U.S. women's game than you would a U.S. men's game. You know why? Because People, especially Americans, we want to watch winners. 
people like winners. And these um, these women's programs, um, especially when we're talking about, you know, the, the U.S. women's national team, they've been a, a dominant program. I know they had some struggles recently, but they've been a dominant program. And, and when we sit down to watch something, we, again, we pick a good guy and a bad guy, and we want our good guy to win. And you have a lot – you're taking a lot more of a chance when you're betting on watching the U.S. men's national team than – you are watching the U.S. women's national team. And, and, so to and, me, that makes them way more marketable, and I think they should probably make more than the men's national team. And, and all due you respect know? to the men's national team, um, and you know, I think what we saw was that in the U.S., because of um, how sports is connected to education, particularly at the college level, um, and how essential that has been for building talent, that when it became a you know a court case about equality and investing in, in um, education for men and women and connected to that with sports, once they put the money up to give women the same um, facilities, the same opportunities as men, then all of a sudden the U.S. women, particularly in soccer, were like the best in the world. And even many of the national teams, um, many of their players had learned how to play, had had sharpened and, and, and molded their craft in uh, U.S. institutions of higher learning. Um, Obviously, this year, the, the women, you know, it's sort of the end of the era. Some of their stars were getting to be up there in age. Um, and it was, in fact, the Spanish national team that won uh, the Women's World Cup. And there's a whole other story about um, the, the role of gender and sex in sports and the institutions related to that um, in that story. Anything else that you wanted to say before we get into that story of the Spanish women's team? Um, no, but, but you did. You know, I, I read... Um... I read an article in Sports Illustrated for Kids. Uh, I don't know how that started coming to my house, but it does. And um, but I read an article. There was a great article that was, you know, designed to try and prime young fans for the World Cup. And it talked about how the current women's national team has uh, this this uh, conflict between the older stars who are kind of aging out and the younger stars who are the best players on the team right now. And I think after you know we saw the results, I think they're going to go ahead and have that youth movement so we can get good again. So I'm looking forward to that. Definitely, there's always the ebb and flow, um, and I think you know there's um, certain people that wanted to attack uh, women stars like Rapinoe, who have been vocal in support of Black Lives Matters uh, and other um, sort of political moments um, that jumped on attacking them. But you know you, you can't always win forever. At a certain point, you know there's an ebb and flow, and I think. Um, that's a normal part of what's going on, giving other teams the opportunity to rise um, and have success. And, and what we saw with the Spanish team is that despite their, their being the best team on the pitch, um, they had to fight kind of pitch battles within their own institutions, including a kind of well-publicized, videographed um, uh, circumstance of basically sexual assault, right, where the coach, I think Robialis is his name, forcefully kissed one of his star players without consent when you ask her about it. Um, and really seem to have no insight into why this was not acceptable behavior to have with people over whom he had, you know, some authority as the coach. Yeah, there's absolutely no place, um, in sports for anything like that. Um, you know, I have a daughter and, um, you know, I, I want to, um, obviously, you know, as a parent, you want to protect your, your, your kids. Um, and these are grown adults we're talking about, but I think like as men, Right. Our responsibility is to create a world that's safe for women. 
So we can't allow stuff like that to go on. So the, uh, the men around that program, right, need to be policing each other, right? Um, and just in general, you know, this isn't even really about sports, man. Like, in what world do you think it's okay to just grab somebody and kiss them? You know, like, what, like, come on, like that is the, that's not even really about sports. That's just basic human decency. Um, and if you can't respect those boundaries, um, if you're going to cross the line from player to coach uh, and, and, you know, again, just violate all the trust that goes along with your office, then, you know, no organization ha- should have a place for anybody like that. You saw that with the Boston Celtics. Um with, with their coach that uh, was having affairs within the organization. And a lot of people thought it was very wrong that he was the one put out on front street and not so much the, uh, the woman who he was having an affair with. And the thing that I told everybody who I talked to about that situation was, you know, look, if you're the organization, you have a responsibility to your fans to explain to them why you're firing your head coach. The head coach is a, forward-facing leadership member of your organization. And so, you know, again, like that kind of behavior is just, is beyond unacceptable. Like I, I'm not even trying to be a moralist, right? Like this is just human decency. And, and, it's, human to- decency. and it's toxic to the organization. And, and what we're seeing in, in Spain is now the women are basically on strike. They're refusing to play for the um, national team, having just won the championship um, until the, that whole structure that tolerated that misogyny is is allowed, and what we've seen in other institutions, and I think of of U.S. women's gymnastics, um, where you know it's obviously not unique, where uh, the the people with a position of authority, the coaches, the doctors, and uh, other people, um, if if the institution, if the individuals involved don't look out for the best interest of the players, aren't really trying to protect them. Um, then it, it puts them at risk for abuse, and obviously that can't be tolerated. And no amount of star power, you know, like Simone Biles or anybody else, will protect them from abusive and toxic uh, institutions and organizations. Yeah, no, exactly. It, what very well said. Um, the the things that exist, a lot of the isms, right, in this world, um, you can't status your way out of them. You can't star your way out of them. Um, you can't rich your way out of them. You know, people still see an opportunity to treat you a certain way. Um, then a lot of times they're going to take advantage and do that. And I think that's when uh, the the people around, right, people around the community have to um, do our best to show that that behavior is just unacceptable. Right. And I think when we create a world where that behavior is not acceptable, then we'll start to see it diminish. Definitely. And, and that's sort of the dark side of sports and women's sports. Um, but there is a bright side right now, right? Um, we're going into the WNBA playoffs. The New York Liberty, who play down the street at the Barclays Center, uh, have really been lights out, a really fun team to watch. Um, you've been working on uh, WNBA uh, playoff media. Anything else you want to say about what's going on in women's basketball right now at the highest levels? Yeah, man. Uh, WNBA is fun. Again, it's, it's fun to watch right now. Um, the, the Las Vegas Aces wrapped up their series in the, in the WNBA playoffs. The first round series are best of three. So first team to win two wins it. The Aces, that's to me, that's, that's the best team. Asia Wilson, she's my favorite player in the WNBA. She's so good. Fun to watch. Um, they wrapped up their series in two games and they're on to the next round to await their 
await the winner of the of the Connecticut Sun versus the Minnesota Lynx. They play Wednesday night, and um, the other team, the number two seed overall in the playoffs, is the New York Liberty, um, and they are they're up one game to nothing on the Washington Mystics. Washington Mystics, they're the sneaky. Um, they're the sneaky underdog team to watch. They got Elena Deladon, who was a big star uh, in the WNBA. Uh, she was hurt for a few years. She had a bad back. And as anybody with a bad back can tell you, bad backs don't really get better. They just stop bothering you sometimes. And so um, when she's healthy, the Mystics are a dangerous team. Um, but the last game, they played the Liberty and Sabrina Inescu. She was just raining threes on them. So the, Liberties are, the Liberty is up one to nothing on the Mystics. They play tomorrow night. Um, if the Liberty win, they move on to the next round. And then we also got game two of the four or five matchup uh, between the Atlanta Dream and the Dallas Stars. And anybody who watches sports will tell you the four or five matchup is always the most fun because it's two evenly matched teams. Right now, the Dallas Wings are up one game to nothing over the Atlanta Dream, but this series could go either way. So tomorrow night, uh, Tuesday, September 19th, if you get a chance to you know watch some basketball, tune into some of these WNBA games because they're good, they're fun to watch, and especially the Liberty. I'm telling you, if you only get to catch one of these games, watch the Liberty. 7 o'clock tomorrow night on ESPN. They're a great, great team. And, you know, we had talked about how um, it's beyond the point where watching the WNBA is any kind of um, charity. Um, The league has really come into its own as a force. The players have really established themselves as stars and the narratives of both the players and the teams. Uh, have really evolved um, since the founding of the league. It's really kind of a, a next generation of, 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 the, of women's basketball on the professional level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is one of those things where, just like you said, this is the, the days where it was like, hey, support women's sports. Like, No, this is good basketball, man. This is good basketball. If you put on the Mystics and the Liberty tomorrow night, you're going to see, uh, again, you're going to see Elena Deladon. You're going to see Sabrina Inescu. You're going to see uh, Brianna Stewart, potential MVP this season. Like, these are good. Jonquel Jones, uh, she was a former MVP. Now she went to the Liberty. They got a super team. Bro, listen, if you're not watching these games and you're a basketball fan, you're missing out. You are cheating yourself because this is just, it's just good basketball. It's good basketball. The teams are fun to watch. And if you like storylines, the Liberty and the Aces, I think, are on a collision course, um, a battle of the super teams potentially in the finals. And, you know, at least in New York, they're playing an NBA arena um, and just and, and giving you a quality of basketball that matches it. Um, yeah, and- if the Liberty could do one thing, just, you know, get rid of that ugly teal green color. <laughs> I hate that color. Maybe it's because I'm a Jets fan and that's like a Miami Dolphins color. But I, that, ugh, I hate that color. I hate it. Well, um, you know, we're, we are bumping up against the end of the hour, and, and people who, who listen know that I'm a, a, a Baltimore guy, a big Baltimore sports fan, and I won't belabor the point, but the Orioles are one of the best teams in baseball. Lamar Jackson and, and, the, uh, and the Baltimore Ravens are uh, playing consistently. I have a chance to really, um, you know, the Orioles and the Ravens won both on the same day, um, and I think the Orioles clinched their playoff spot. Um, but, you know, we're in New York. You're a New York Jets fan as we run uh, run up the clock. Anything you want to say about the Jets uh, with high hopes this season? But so far, oh, <laughs> yeah. have, uh, it's right, a hard had, knock life. They hired Aaron Rodgers, a 39-year-old <laughs> all-star quarterback who blew out his Achilles in the first game. Oh, 
Man, look, uh, yeah, y'all, you guys, you guys all saw it. You guys all saw it. It's tough. <laughs> the Jets have a really great team this year, although they didn't look like it yesterday against the Cowboys. Um, the Jets have a really great team this year. Um, but they, what they don't have is a functional quarterback. So, um, it sucks. It sucks. Well, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, funny, I, especially because. I still have because... fantasy football and Lamar Jackson is my quarterback in fantasy football. So I, I guess that kind of makes me a Ravens fan. Well, you know, I think it was, uh, uh, what's her name? Jamel, um, uh, the journalist. In, in any case, someone was pointing out that, you know, they had a 39 year old quarterback, but there in New Jersey, there is a quarterback in his late 30s who's gone to the Super Bowl, uh, who's gone to the playoffs that has been successful that NFL teams keep passing up on. So, uh, <laughs> And I think the first time you and I spoke, we were wondering where Colin Kaepernick would play next. Uh, is his time passed, or is there any chance that the uh, the Jets throw a Hail Mary and, and put him in the backfield? I don't think they will. Um, I think there's a couple reasons. For one, um, obviously – the collusion uh, amongst the NFL, you know, is, is unspoken. Like, I don't, I don't think any coach, I don't think any GMs have had to be told, you know, that the that the owners don't want to have Colin Kaepernick sign. They probably have been told, but I think the word has been gotten. Like, there's no way they would rather. If you lose. look at some of these guys who get signed in these emergency quarterback situations, there's no way somebody wouldn't at least kick the tires on Colin Kaepernick. So again, the collusion is the number one reason why he's not going to get signed. But I think if that were not an issue, I still think that from what I've seen from the Jets, they don't appear to be a fan of the um, more the guys who are labeled as more mobile. They are a fan of more of the uh, pocket passer. quote unquote pocket passer types. And look no further than the decision to draft. Uh, <sighs> who's this guy's name, Zach Wilson out of BYU, rather than, you know, former five-star quarterback Justin Fields, who, you know, won 20 games in two years at Ohio State. So I don't think they're a fan of what they think Colin Kaepernick is. So I couldn't see them signing Kaepernick. Um, But, you know, I think the bigger issue here is obviously the collusion. Um, And also it's the, uh, it's the, uh, the, the fans of the NFL willingly turning a blind eye to the fact that Colin Kaepernick's been denied uh, an opportunity to play because he protested against racism. Wow. Um, And, you know, we are running up against the end of the hour. Anything else that you want to share with our New York audience while we have you on the air talking about uh, sports with our good friend uh, Terrence Williams, a former offensive lineman and now a sports media professional? No, man, this is my favorite time of the year. Uh, You know, college football is going on. NFL is going on. You know, once this kind of starts winding down, we roll right into NBA season. This is a good time of the year, man. It's a good time of the year. And and you're being humble, uh, but uh, your other interest, right, is professional wrestling, and you do have. Oh, uh, I love it. Yeah, love it. <laughs> you have a professional <laughs> wrestling podcast. I'm not going to get into it, but um, I, I sort of suspect that WBAI more have may have more professional wrestler fans and NFL fans uh, listening. So, um, anything you want to tell us about where else we can hear what you're doing and what else you're uh, you're up to? Absolutely. Uh, if you guys are on social media, you can follow me at Talking About Pod. That's T A L K I N B O U T Pod. The podcast is the Talking About Podcast. Um, I cover pro wrestling, you know, and any other thing that's on my mind. But uh, the Talking About Podcast. I'm also on YouTube. If you search uh, Talking About Pod, that's T A L K I N B O U T Pod. And um, yeah, you know, I, I talk about the stuff that's going on in wrestling. To me, you're never too old to be a big kid and enjoy some good old 
uh, fictional fighting. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks again for joining us, Terrence. It's, it's been a blast as always. Thank you for having me. I hope everybody enjoyed it and can't wait to come on again soon. Well, thanks again, New York, for joining us on uh, WBAI for Trauma Code. Um, that was Terrence Williams talking about our sports update. Um, and now remember, we uh, do this. We volunteer our time, uh, but we have to pay the bills. Uh, you can do that uh, through the pledge line, 212-209-2950, or giving online at Give2WBAI. That's number two, Give2WBAI.org. Uh, or just go on the WBAI.org website and click on the Donate button. Uh, and uh, if you like our show, if you're interested, you can find all of our previous episodes, not only on the WBAI radio archives, uh, but also wherever you get your podcasts under uh, the name Trauma Code. And you can communicate with us as trauma code WBAI at gmail.com or trauma code WBAI on any of your favorite social media platforms. Thanks again for joining us, New York. balloting period has started and you can vote through september 30th 1159 p.m look out for a link to your e-ballot in the form of an email from invitations at mail.electionbuddy.com